Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm one of the pastors at Life Church, and I am the host for the show. And I'm excited because this is a non-sermon-related podcast, <laughs> which is fine. Sermons are great too, but every once in a while, it's good to have some other conversations about other things that are going on. So I'm joined with uh, by Roger our youth director, and Jess Ostrander. She's going to introduce herself a little bit more in just a second. But Roger, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, Roger. I'm the student director here at Life Church. Student director or youth director? we got to get this one right. Which is it? Didn't I say student? You did say student. That's that's what I usually say, student okay. director. All right. Working out my job today on the <laughs> podcast. That's good. No, it's fine. That looks good. It's fine. I think both titles are acceptable. Yes. Uh, we could say you because we spell it Y T H, so I could be yes director. <laughs> right. Yes. We only use consonants like the true Hebrew uh, folks. All right. We're already off the rails, so yep. we're gonna switch over to Jess. Jess, tell us a little bit about yourself, and so, then we'll talk about why you're here. Yeah. So I'm Jess. I'm a volunteer here, but also I am a um, licensed master social worker, so I work in mental health, and I specifically work with youth. So that is youth and mental health are two big things I love. Awesome, which is what we're here to talk about today. Um, this is a big one. Roger, you've been mentioning that this is something you've been wanting to talk about for a, yeah. while, a while now. Why? Uh, I mean, I don't mean that in yeah. like a negative way. Like, no, obviously, it needs uh, to be, but why you specifically has that been laid on your heart to talk yeah. about? I think overall... I think most people would agree. I think most parents would agree. Um, students are in a particularly tough season, or at least hopefully coming out of a particularly tough season um, of isolation, um, anxiety, and stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just they've had to go through a lot um, in a season of life that doesn't look like how life usually looks like. Um, you know, for example, seniors, one of my concerns with seniors is, is usually you have this process of mourning your senior year hmm. of kind of be able to mourn the things that you're moving on from and that that has all been stripped away yeah and that's caused some pretty big you know stress and anxiety in the student community so i want to talk about this um to give parents tools also because um like john tyson as a pastor i feel like we talked about this one of our own other podcasts but john tyson is a pastor in new york and he, he used this metaphor <coughs> of being in a fight hmm. to explain covid because uh, his worry was that, you know, we're, we're getting out of COVID in similar to being in a fight when you're in a fight, uh, you know, you get beat up and then right after you're full of adrenaline and I don't have experience with this. I, I'm making it sound like I've been in lots of fights, uh, <laughs> but, you, but you get, you know, you get out of a fight, you, yeah. you're, you adrenaline surging, you feel okay. That adrenaline goes away and then you're, you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm wounded and right. beat up and now the soreness sets in. And I think there's going to be a period of that in general hmm. in 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 the world and in, in America whatever uh, in the student community I think there's going to be a movement of that and I want students to have the tools to handle that mm-hmm. and families to have the tools to handle it mm-hmm. so this isn't I mean we're not going to solve every problem here but having a, a conversation about it to hopefully uh, help parents have some tools to have that conversation yep. is I'm sure gonna have to happen right so and Jess, you're here, um, obviously because you're a mental health professional, mm-hmm. but there's maybe maybe a question out there for anybody who's listening, um, who are like, well, of course she's going to advocate it because advocate for it because that's what she does. However, we're in a church. Should the church be talking about mental health, or is that 
you know, something that should be separated out into the public or private sector versus the, you know, the religious sector, if I could put it in those sort of uh, juvenile terms. Yeah, and I think that it's super important that the church talks about mental health because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have this misguided idea that, like, Christians don't have problems <laughs> or, like, you're a bad Christian if you are having problems or, right. like, if my faith was better then my mental health wouldn't be bad. Or like mm-hmm. if I if I just believed a little bit harder, if my faith was stronger, then I wouldn't be having these problems. And that's mm-hmm. just not true. Right. You know, just like we live in a sinful, broken world and just like our health gets bad physically, mm-hmm. our mental health does too. You know, being a Christian does not prevent that. Yeah. And while I think it offers us a little more hope and a little more resources because we do have the all-powerful creator of the universe to rely on, that doesn't mean that we don't have to use the resources here in right. in the outside world. Right. Have you experienced people, I'm sure you've worked with people with a lot of different backgrounds, including religious backgrounds. Yeah. For those, of, uh, for those individuals that you have worked with who have come out of a specifically Christian or religious background, have you gotten that sense that, that there is a stigma of, I, I shouldn't be experiencing these things because I am a Christian and my faith should be enough. Yeah, I've found that to be true. You yeah. know, I'd say lesser so in younger people okay. than than older people that I, you know, like I've found it sometimes in in parents, they, they kind of question things of like, you know, if my kids are having these issues or if I'm even having these issues, like, what does that mean? You know, and I mm. think, I think because mental health is becoming a little bit more talked about and accepted, yeah. you know, in mental health care and treatment that, you know, that youth don't have as much of it, don't see as much of an issue with mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was like, I got, I got, st- I pulled up stats yeah. for us to introduce to yeah. our conversation in that. Say a couple of those. Yeah. So I, I'm going to only share a couple now because a couple relate to something we'll talk about later, but, um, and I got this from the Michigan counseling and psychology services page. Okay. Um, they're pretty, I found the stats are pretty, uh, similar everywhere, but they just did a good job of for kind of formatting it and laying it out. But, um, but to that point, um, they shared the stats that one of every five young people suffers from some form of diagnosable mental illness, um, which was one that hit pretty hard. But, um, the other mm-hmm. one that I was like, and really relates to what you're talking about, they share that over two thirds of young people do not talk about or seek help for mental health problems. Hmm. So yeah. not only do they exist, but two thirds, to, two thirds, we oh, seem to have this yeah. issue where it's not, it's not talked about. And it's really not, you know, yeah. like it's, it's like a dirty little secret or huh. it's, you know, um, it's, will anyone believe me? Do I have a right to feel this way? Yeah. Like, I think that actually comes up a lot too. Of Like, I don't like all these people have it worse than me. So mm. like, I'm not justified to feel the way that I feel yeah. right now. What do you, I'm curious what you, what you think about this one, because another one they shared, and they didn't give like an exact stat for this, but uh, they said stereotypes are one of the largest barriers preventing young people from seeking the help they need. Yeah, I think that's pretty true. You know, like we have a lot, there's a lot of unfortunate stereotypes and unfortunate depictions of mental illness, you know, mm-hmm. and also I think that people really want to try to downplay what they feel too and really try to be like, you know, if I was really mentally ill, then I'd be like super bad. You know, mm-hmm. I'd look like, I'd look like some, yeah. you know, I couldn't get out of bed every day because I'd be so horribly depressed or I'd be, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of things that people don't understand about mental illness too, you know, and what it looks like and what it presents like. And so, and yeah. Do, do, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, do you so. think people, 
generalize it like it's it's mental health can become too generic yeah yeah I think that too you know okay. people are like well everybody feels that way so like right. what's the you know like yeah I get sad sometimes too you're not you're not depressed right like, you know or even just yeah that general feeling of like yeah everybody feels that way so like what's your problem right this is kind of a weird illustration but um like we I think we all say I need a Kleenex right mm-hmm. But that's a brand name. Right. Uh, hmm. What people will sometimes say is, I need a tissue, a facial facial tissue, but nobody says that. I don't, I don't know anybody. I need a facial tissue. We did, I grew up saying, I need a Kleenex, because we had Kleenexes around. Uh, and I wonder if it, there's the same Kleenex effect for mental health of, um, well, specifically, I've heard this one before, like, oh, I'm so, I'm so OCD. Mm-hmm. I, I just like things in order. When in reality, they might not recognize that they're actually talking with somebody who has clinical OCD, obsessive yeah. compulsive disorder. And how different that is. Oh, yeah. Just, I like order. You're I right. I like to be clean. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Like, no, if I don't turn the stove, if I don't make sure that the stove's off 47 times exactly, then my mom will right. die tonight. Right. Yeah, like very legitimate fears yeah. that then results in them obsess- obsessing mm-hmm. uh, with a particular activity. And that is a very serious issue. However, we have Kleenexed it, right? Like yeah. uh, OCD is sort of the, it's just the generic, you know, form that, every, a term that everybody can use and everybody understands what it means. Right. And how many reality, people say like, oh, I'm so anxious when they don't mean that they have right, clinical yeah. anxiety or right. having an actual anxiety attack. Yeah. yeah. So I think defining terms is, from what I hear you're saying, is, is incredibly important. Definitely. Or, you know, yeah. like... Huh, I'm so random. I have AD, uh, I'm just so ADHD. Right, right. Like, I've heard that too. So different from what people think it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. Were there some other stats that you were going to share, Roger, that uh, you wanted to ask about? The, the other ones relate to suicide. So okay. Do we want to go right into that? Well, yeah. No, let's hold on for just a second. For just for a second. Because yeah. I, I do want to keep talking a little bit about faith. I share a little bit my experience of, um, I want to say it was about 10 years ago. I was working mm-hmm. at a different church. And... And there was somebody on staff who was pretty open about some struggles that they were dealing with in the area of mental illness. And they did a, a two-week series on it, um, I think called Out of the Shadows, which, you know, very appropriate mm-hmm. because there is this stigma. There is this, like, I need to hide this because mm-hmm. this is embarrassing or this is, you know, am I like you said, am I going to be believed? Am I going to be seen as some kind of stereotype? Uh, but we did this two-week series in a fairly affluent community in a very large church and it was so well received um and because people were like oh my gosh i can i can actually talk about this because i see this figure on stage who's well respected in the community and all these things and they're talking about it Mm -hmm. from their own point of view and what they're struggling with and I think I was surprised by that, and I actually met with a mental health professional in that community afterward because we're like, "Oh my gosh, we have to we have to do something about this. What do what should we do as a faith community?" And this person, um, who is a mental health professional, said, and this is just ten years ago, mind you, mm-hmm. um, said, "Just talk about it. Like, yeah. just start talking about it." Yeah, and I was like, "Such a big that, thing. That's it." <laughs> and and so, would you say that? We're further along than than that of faith communities, churches. They just need to talk about it. That's just the that's like the biggest hurdle to get over. Or do you think we're we're past that hurdle and there is now more that we can 
get into? I think from it's your a point of little view. bit of both. Okay. Like, honestly, I think, you know, we do bring it up decently. I'd say, you know, like we've got even even a group that meets every Sunday morning to have, yeah. you know, to have these kinds of conversations. And I think that that's important too. But I think, again, that openness from from the stage, like you were talking about, and like from a personal perspective is so important. And that's like, you know, like I will always be open about the fact that like I go to therapy, you mm-hmm. know, like yep. I'm a mental health professional who goes to therapy. Mm-hmm. And and if you ask a lot of mental health professionals, you'll find that a lot of us are in therapy. Because right. A, our jobs are hard. Dealing with other people's mental health has an impact on your own. But mm-hmm. also, like, I can't tell my client to do something that I'm not willing to do. Mm. And so, like, actually, my stepmom's a mental health professional, too. And when she was in graduate school, their graduate school program required them to be in therapy. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is I, super important. I think it's important for pastors too and kind of in that same regard I don't know this isn't super helpful to parents but um, I wrote a paper on suffering in the image of God last semester and, and I was trying to find like data of like what happens in suffering and one of the things I came across was an article that research had been done with missionaries and with nurses uh, and there's a thing and I'm sure just you know about this like they refer to it as compassion fatigue mm-hmm. like being exposed to so much of other people's suffering and trauma that you became completely desensitized to like yeah. really dangerous levels. Yeah. And it, uh, and it leads was interesting. To so much burnout. Yeah. Like, that is the biggest contributor to burnout. Yeah. And that's something that is constantly talked about in the mental health profession because yeah. like it's so real for anybody who does any kind of caring job. So like you guys mm-hmm. as pastors mm-hmm. definitely can feel that too. Yeah. And maybe actually maybe this does relate to parents because I. I wonder how parents are doing right now mm. because we're in this season of like not only is your your student going through this tough season but like families are too right so mm-hmm. I'm sure we have plenty of parents yeah and we're all kind of living are, through secondary yeah. trauma right now yeah. and like mm-hmm. you know we've all lived had this massive traumatic collective traumatic experience and mm-hmm. and that changes people and that impacts everybody's mental health like think about it like one of the best examples of secondary trauma or like of trauma on a global scale is like how like I, I bet each and every one of us who was alive for September 11th 2001 oh, right. remembers exactly where we were what we were doing all that stuff that's trauma yeah mm-hmm. because that that like recall we all have of that and stuff and so that's like collective trauma and that's what we're all going through right now with mm-hmm. this uh, maybe we um, maybe we we're starting to do this, but could you define secondary trauma, what you mean by that? Yeah, so secondary trauma is, like, when the traumatic event didn't happen to you, but you heard about it or you mm-hmm. had to help deal with it. So okay. that happens a lot to, um, like, all of us, first responders, you know, those kind of things. Like, someone someone tells you about the traumatic event or you witness it. Mm-hmm. So it's not what happened to you, but you are secondhand experiencing oh, so it. Do you, okay. do you think parents are exposed to that? Oh, yeah. Via their children? Definitely. Like, okay. if something if something bad happens to your kid or, like... And again, and another thing about trauma is, like, it does not have to be, like, this horrific, massive event mm-hmm. for it to be trauma. Mm-hmm. Like, very small things can actually cause a trauma response. And mm-hmm. so trauma is whatever it is to you. And so that way, like, even if you think, like, that's not that big a deal, what happened to my kid or what happened to... What happened to me, but but to your brain, it's not. Yeah. yeah. I'm reading a book that somebody gave to me called My Grandmother's Hands, um, which is all about trauma and yeah. trauma's effect on the physical body. Yeah. And I've, I've just gotten wild. started. Right. Like, I, I need to read a page and then, like, take a nap. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I, there's just so much for oh, me yeah. to 
go through here. And we know so much from research. Right. It's like one of the biggest research areas right, right. now. And like trauma changes your DNA. Yeah. And that gets passed on generationally. Right. Oh man, that that could be a whole another podcast actually about the, <laughs> the hereditary effects yeah. of, mm-hmm. of trauma of mental health. I don't know if we have time for that just yet. <laughs> Probably not. I, no, I, that's okay. I um, and I want to I want to sort of sort of side by side. I think of I'm imagining like a motorcycle with a sidecar, and <laughs> what I want the sidecar to be is like continuing to talk about the theological components of this because yes. I think they are intertwined. Yeah, I think so. Too. Uh, I absolutely do. I I would just flat out say on this podcast um, we absolutely have to break the stigma I agree with you that somehow mental health should not be talked about in church it absolutely should be Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that um, you know Jesus being a Jewish person Mm -hmm. saw the the intersection of mind body soul strength spirit like all of that is intertwined we Mm -hmm. have as Western thinkers separated those um, and have made them somewhat binary Um, and then in addition we've done that in our Christian faith, but I think it's important to recognize the, the, the Jewishness of Jesus. I've, I've said that probably before too many times, but the Jewishness of Jesus in how they thought about the, the person, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I just, I think that it's important to recognize looking at what Jesus even does in his own ministry Me too. of like going and, you know, just give, giving them himself, healing a, a person who's demon possessed healing somebody with leprosy, you know, and then going off to be completely by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we even hear about the the uh, the Holy Spirit. One of the names for the Holy Spirit is the yeah. paraclete, the the, comforter, yeah. the counselor, yeah. right? The, the one who comes alongside, like mm-hmm. we were never meant to do this alone. Um, I do want to think about this, though, and talk about this a little bit. How much of our conversation is just about self-care? Because you were talking about pastors. Sometimes we just need like mm-hmm. need some time, need some care. How much is there a difference between self-care of just like, I need some me time, I need some, you know, whatever I need that, versus I need a counselor. Yeah. To, like talk to me about that a little bit. Yeah. And so like, that's the thing is like self-care <clears throat> is not what we make it out to be sometimes. Like, like sometimes self-care is taking a shower and doing the dishes because you've been in bed for a week you know like sometimes self-care is being hard on yourself and like doing the tough things and so one of those tough things can be recognizing that like no this is beyond what just doing a little by myself or like rest and recovery will do for me you know it's recognizing that like no this is a bigger deal than that and i'm not equipped to handle it yeah and just knowing that and honestly I think that therapy is for everyone. There's no prerequisites for therapy. You need, you know, I think that literally everybody could benefit from being in therapy at least once in their life. You know, we all go through some things. We all just, sometimes you just need somebody, an outside third party perspective to just talk through with. Yeah, that's good. You know, to take your jumbled, tangled up mess that's happening in your brain and just pull it into one neat string. Awesome. Yeah, I think, um, one of the things that I hear you saying is recognizing the difference of the effects that you have experienced, you know, whether yeah. it's been traumatic or you're just exhausted, you're just tired, you know? Mm-hmm. And so having the ability to discern that, um, and sometimes you don't necessarily yeah. have that ability. And so hopefully you have somebody in your life that, that loves you and respects you and is willing to say the hard things to you. Definitely. Um, I myself have sought out a counselor when we were, <laughs> 
I mean, we were, we, my wife and I have been married for seven years, um, and we have three children under the age of two. And I was, a, I was just, um, I had stepped into the role of pastor at the church that I was in, and so I was getting more duties handed mm-hmm. to me. And it was just like, I can't, <laughs> I, can't yeah. I can't do this, you know, and, um, and was dealing with some anger issues and there was a whole lot coming to the surface. And so as a pastor, as a man of God, right, like I sought out a counselor to meet with um, several times to get some help and healing. So and actually, I had a, had a thought and correct me if it's 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 off base, but I was, I was thinking through Jesus interaction with Thomas, right, because we're hmm. we're talking about the idea that we need care and the idea that God knows that and maybe provides that because we often look at Thomas and we and we're like how dare how dare you ask Jesus to you know to see those holes but think about what Thomas has just gone through he's just seen his lord and savior nailed to a cross <laughs> and pierced and broken right and i wonder if it's almost and again correct me if i'm off base but i wonder if it's a moment of Jesus acquiescing to what Thomas needs Thomas mm-hmm. has been through trauma and needs to see like this is his lord and savior right. as a process of healing and recovering and um, I think regardless of it, if it's not there, like we see that heart of, of Jesus knowing what his disciples need, hmm. sometimes what they truly need yeah. um, over and over again. So again, just to reinforce the idea that you know, God knows this yeah. and is yeah. willing and, re- and ready and able to provide right. for what we need to heal. That's a really good point. I, um, I have always thought, I've always been intrigued by that story. Mm-hmm. Like we've always made Thomas out to be the bad guy. We've called mm-hmm. him Doubting mm-hmm. Thomas. It's like, mm-hmm. how dare you doubt Thomas? Like, of course, we're on the other side of this. <laughs> right. 2,000 yeah. years later, we know, yeah. we know everything there is to know. Yeah. But um, Jesus never rebukes him mm-hmm. for asking to see the, the mm-hmm. holes and the wounds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've thought about that for several years. This is the first time I'm hearing the possibility of Thomas having had experienced trauma. To yeah. say, yeah, like, I mean, he saw Jesus nailed yeah. to a rock. I feel like, I feel like all the disciples. I mean, well, look at right. what, look at what they're doing in that moment too. Right, like, yeah. they're hiding upstairs hiding. Yep. in a room. Everybody except Thomas, you know. And yeah, that's another layer of trauma. Thomas yeah. is taking, like, Thomas has taken on ever, like caring for everyone yes. else in that moment too. Like, he's the one yeah. who goes out and gets the stuff they need because they're oh, all okay. up hiding in a room, you yeah. know. And then, and then the best part is my favorite part is Jesus breathes on them mm. the Holy Spirit, yeah. the, the Comforter, yeah. the Counselor, right? And another one to come alongside them. This is great. Um, we have been joined by a, a, just a random guy who came is up this the our, street. Is this our first surprise guest? It is. On the podcast? It is. <laughs> uh, come on down. Um, no, this, we, we knew this was happening, uh, but this is John Grandy. He is a pastor here at Life Church. John, why don't you say just a little bit more about what you do, and then I'm going to say why I think it's important that you're here. Yeah. So I get to oversee discipleship, growing in our walk with God on the journey of growing in maturity and wholeness, and also get to oversee our young adults and men's ministry as well. Um, but all of it is discipleship and yeah. learning to follow, imitate, and become like Jesus. So that's what I'm helping to oversee. Yeah. And Roger mentioned that you were going to be part of the conversation, which I'm just like, yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, one, because you have a you have a background in student ministries and youth ministries, right. depending on what term we want to use, youth or student, <laughs> right? We'll come back to that. I, I already forgot. That's fine. Why. I forgot which one we decided. Can we make a hybrid term? Stooth. Stooth. Oh, okay. Nope. Don't like the This is bad. This is all bad. That's also another podcast. We'll, we'll put that in the bank. Uh, so you have a background in student ministries and youth ministries. Um but also now as the person who oversees the process of discipleship, 
um, specifically at Life Church, and it's now impacted other churches as well. Um, you can't you can't leave out mental health right mm-hmm. as part of the equation, right? So if if because our goal is like we want to equip people to then disciple one other person. If the person that they're discipling has a history of mental illness or or a current experience of mental illness, would you say? And I'm looking at you, Jess, and John to talk about this. Would you say it's incredibly important <laughs> to be mindful of whatever it is that they're experiencing or have experienced? Yeah, absolutely. I think a key is to look for triggers. Mm-hmm. So when they disconnect from the conversation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. most often seen in their body language, you, they look away, they seem yeah. antsy, they seem uh, like they're anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might even turn away from you. Mm-hmm. And we have to pay attention to body language. I think that we put too much uh, weight on words. Sometimes body language speaks louder than words. And so when you see a trigger like that, there's a good chance there's something going on internally. They might not even know it. It might be a subconscious reaction that they have. Mm -hmm. And so we have to pay attention to them. And that's why uh, care is so important and why sometimes it's even hard to meet digitally because you can't always see body language. Mm -hmm. And so even the, the power of presence to be with them. But if you notice a trigger like that, ask, like, just pause, stop the whole, the, anything that's happening and say, can you tell me what you're feeling right mm-hmm. now? Tell me what you're experiencing in your body. Mm-hmm. And again, they might be surprised because they might not even realize they're doing it. And you just help kind of bring that even out of their subconsciousness into their consciousness and help them process that. And they might even bring up a memory at that point and struggle through that or, or have tears or have a reaction and then you can help them process through it and you might feel like I'm in over my head right now and that's where you would say really feel like a professional would help you work through this right mm-hmm. and I feel like instead of just saying like you're messed up you need mental health like <laughs> mm-hmm. to help them start to realize like this is something that's affecting my everyday life yeah. and I need someone to help me to, to become whole, to yeah. become healthy. Cause that's the goal. It's not to label us with, mm-hmm. you know, with a diagnosis, it's to help you get to, to wholeness. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jess does. And, you know, mental health professionals do is they want you to find wholeness Yeah, and those things get in the way of wholeness. Yeah. Jess, parents, what would you, oh, go ahead. I was saying parents are probably uniquely positioned to be able to read body language of their, of mm-hmm. their student, of mm-hmm. their children. Yeah. Um, really well too. So that, I think that's a really good tip for parents. Definitely. Especially. Yeah. It's like body language and, you know, just noticing changes too, you know, mm-hmm. like if like noticing the changes in the body language or just, you know, and another thing I'd say, especially with, um, with youth and younger people is watch for like, watch for like a blankness to happen, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like if, if they just kind of glaze over, check out, like <clears throat> disassociate a little bit, like that's a, that's a point to stop and check in and figure out what's going on too. Cause you know, it might not be that they're bored and tuning you out. It could be just that triggered something for them. Right. Yeah, and I think yeah that's, that's, a, that's a good point because on the outside it looks like they're numb, but actually on the inside it's like they're going 90 miles an hour Yeah. because they're, they're, it's actually a, a stress response, fight, fight, flight, and freeze. Yep, we never they're, talk about the freeze that much, but yeah. it's the third yep. part of that piece. Yeah, yep. so you think about how 
anxious you feel with fight and flight, but the same internal response is happening with freeze. It just mm -hmm. doesn't look like it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really helpful to, to realize, and what you said is important. Yeah. Don't just assume what's happening. Realize that there could, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we realize. Hmm. Yeah. I think I um, struggle with... So my kids are 10, 8, and 8. Hmm. And they're, they're starting to you know become their own person and explore their own personalities more. But there's, a, there's still a lot of things that they just can't articulate. They don't, mm -hmm. they right. don't know what they don't know. They exactly. don't know... So like if they're feeling upset or frustrated or sad or something, but they're like, I don't, I don't know why I'm feeling this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and my, you know, my limited brain as a dad is just like, well, just tell me, just you know, force it out somehow. Like, yeah. just tell me what you feel. Tell me what's going on. And it's not that simple. Like sometimes right. they just don't know. I think you said that, John, like they might not even know what they're experiencing. Yeah. And I was reading that in this book of like how trauma affects the body, but it might not necessarily impact the brain in the same way. Yeah. So your body is feeling a physical reaction to something that was said or done or not said or not done, but it can't compute in your mind. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just now getting into this chapter, so maybe you could speak more to that. Yeah, and especially, like, this especially applies to younger people, too, because, like, this front part of your brain, like, right here on, right here behind your forehead is called the prefrontal cortex, yeah. and that's where all of our higher-ordered thinking and all of our critical thought happens. And that piece of your brain is not doing great as a teenager mm -hmm. like it is it is having as much development as it as it did as a baby right. in your teen years and, so and it's not their fault exactly because it's just where it is it's just where it is yeah. you know and so like so when you're wondering why your kid's a little bit crazy <laughs> it's it's their brain development yeah. like it's normal <laughs> but they but that helps prevent that's like what you're talking about mm -hmm. with that prevention of like i don't know how to articulate how i'm feeling or what's going on inside yeah. me and sometimes that just comes out physically or mm -hmm. it just comes out as anger or it just comes out as like that checked out numbness you yeah. know and it's just I don't have the words for this mm -hmm. I feel like I kind of started understanding that when the first time someone pointed out to me that um like crossed arms is a human mechanism for like protection and kind of closing yourself sure. off because then I, I would find myself like doing it and then someone pointed out be like oh yeah my arms are crossed I didn't even realize that so mm -hmm. maybe that's kind of what you're talking about yeah. that like, bodily reaction that's not really a yeah, it's not it's not a cog it's yeah. not a conscious yeah. thought. Your body yeah. just does a lot of things without yeah. without you realizing it, without your without your like higher order brain being mm -hmm. online. You yeah. know, yeah. it's all it's that physical instinctual stuff. Well, which one of those higher order things is self awareness. Yep. So sometimes students don't seem self aware. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about going to the grocery store and the person who's just standing in the middle of the aisle blocking everyone. You're like, <laughs> do you have any self-awareness or social awareness? Mm -hmm. But students do that stuff all the time, and we can get frustrated with them. But we have to realize that that part of their brain, as Jeff said, is developing. And so it's a great opportunity to step in and help them develop self-awareness. Yeah. But we have to be patient. We have to say... You know, do you realize when you did this, it made it seem like mm. this is the way that you were thinking or responding? Mm -hmm. And they might say, no, I had no idea that that's the way I came across. But, you know, thank you for telling me. Yeah. They might not have, They <laughs> wouldn't they might, say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Very optimistic. Yeah. Very yes. optimistic. A very mature thank student. You so yeah. Much. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry to make no, you No, that, that's just it. Just being aware that you have self-awareness because... You've grown past that part of your life, but they're still in the middle of it. Mm. Exactly. I think there is another component, too, that 
I don't think we're going to get into today, but I think it's just important to acknowledge for those who are listening to the podcast who don't know a ton about Life Church, um, there is a racial component to yes. some to a lot of this too, yes. um, and I think it, I will just acknowledge this is for white people around the microphone right now talking mm-hmm. about this, and we as Life Church um, are wanting to continue to grow in our understanding and awareness of how this impacts our brothers and sisters of color um, in our community. And, and in fact, that book that I'm reading, My Grandmother's Hands, mm-hmm. is, is specifically about some of how yeah. the, the racial trauma that is felt. And again, we're not going to have near enough time to get into all of that. But that's a component, I think, you know, when you're talking about discipleship, when you're talking about youth ministry, um, if, you're, if you're discipling somebody who has a background that is different than yours, that's another element mm-hmm. that has to be taken into consideration uh, when you're leading them and, and right. helping yeah. them to grow, especially if you if you represent a background that is different than theirs, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe that was assumed, but I thought I would just go ahead and mention that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Go ahead. There's different. Uh, I'm not trying to get deep into it, but there, you know, as as a leader of a young people of community, like community of young people, it's I often have to process like what are the needs of each of the micro communities within my community, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm learning a lot about. Um, perception of black bodies and, and mm. black hair and things like that, and understanding yeah. that there are there are students in my community who deal with stereotypes and pressures and the way people look at their bodies in a particular way that not all of my students deal with. So mm-hmm. it becomes a very nuanced like, what are all the needs yeah. in mm-hmm. my big community and the micro communities inside of that? So yeah, it's just something to be cognizant of. And it definitely impacts conversations around mental health too, yeah. and, right. and the yeah. seeking of mental health treatment and like how stigmatized is that in your in your community and your specifically racial background mm-hmm. you know because yeah. there's there's a lot of power dynamics at play there there's a lot of like cultural history at play there too right right um i want to turn the corner just a little bit because uh, there's a, a much harder subject matter that you wanted to get to in regards to yeah. suicide so this is uh, there's like four of them and they're just a warning they get these ones were pretty hard um mm-hmm. because i wanted to give a context for why we should talk about suicide. Yeah. So these are the stats. I think cognizantly we all know that. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, a couple stats, uh, Michigan website again, um, about 90% of young people contemplate or attempt suicide each year. Wait, uh, sorry, can I stop? Yeah. Contemplate and attempt are in the same category? Uh, contemplate or attempt. Or attempt. Yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. 90%. Uh, four, this was a hard one. To, I, sorry, these a lot of these are hard. Four out of every five young people that contemplate or attempt suicide exhibit clear warning signs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And then uh, there's one, um, there was one, t- I had said, uh, there it is, suicide is the third leading cause of death among young people ages 15 to 24. Mm-hmm. And the second leading cause of death in college student students aged 20 to 24. I don't know if you've had this handy, but how does that compare to, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? I, I, I don't know if trending I up? have that. I, there are a couple it's, things that are trending up. I know, yeah. I know one, one thing that is happening is there is research being done on social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The impact. fact that that has had an impact, um, particularly among um, females. 
Who's yeah. male teenagers? But and they're saying between the ages of fifteen to twenty-four. Yes, okay. I believe fifteen to twenty-four. Yeah, oh. yeah. And uh, there's another. I can't find it right now. But there's also a stat in here about how um, students who are young people who uh, suffer from depression and anxiety are um, noticeably more likely to yeah. attempt or contemplate suicide than yeah. adults. A diagnosed mental health condition, or undiagnosed, really. Just having a mental health condition is one of the single biggest risk factors for suicide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. All, all that to say that not only is suicide an issue, but students are a vulnerable community yeah. when Definitely. it comes to this issue. Like, the two highest rates of suicide, actually, like, through the ages, is teenagers and the elderly. Hmm. Well, and think about the year we've just had with yeah. COVID. Yeah. I think... Yeah. Students have had the hardest, you know, everyone has struggled through it. It's been hard for all of us. But I think with school specifically, it's like, well, let's phase back in the younger kids. But the high schoolers, well, they can just deal with being at home. Um, And I feel like they had to take one for the team a lot. And sometimes felt left behind or like they didn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that plays into suicide because I don't matter. No one's going to notice that I'm gone. And those are some of the same. I'm not blaming, you know, the school system for this. I'm just saying that the scenario that we are in created a perfect scenario for feeling lonely and depressed and mm-hmm. yeah. um, not knowing what to do with that. Yeah. Right. And as as people in this room, everyone has worked in youth ministry, um, just to peek behind the curtain, I, there is often a certain level of anxiety that comes with hearing that a suicide or an attempt has happened in our student community because we know that when that happens it's not just a family or like one student like it impacts mm-hmm. a whole community and it, yeah. and it know seriously that. ups the risk of yeah, more yeah. suicides and we know that there more often than not there's not like it's it's going to impact the whole community other students are going to be you know anguished or or stressed about this and it's we know that when that incident happens it's not just a, like a family thing it's a like gather your leaders hey everybody just you know this happened this week and and we need to be careful and we need to look out for these students for the whole community for the next couple Mm -hmm. weeks so and i mean you guys know that we've we've all experienced that but that that is a stressor for us too of like knowing that they're that a student or a family has been exposed to that like it's a it's all all hands on deck kind of situation at that point how much do you think that that impacts what we as ministry workers do specifically for youth um, and then what kind of impact yeah. is, what does that impact look like? I, I think it's a bit of a transition right now. Um, cause before I felt like it was, it was a thing that the mindset was generally, it's a thing that we'll deal with when it happens. Mm-hmm. But I mean, COVID it, it's went from that to something like I'm always thinking about and mm-hmm. cognizant of like, this is something that affects our community that I need to watch out for. So it, I, I think it's a shift. Honestly, I think there's a shift happening from it being this thing that is kind of, we know it's there, we'll deal with it. When it happens to like a, now it's something we need to watch out for Yeah, more often, if that makes sense. And I think that's a healthier way to yeah, do yeah, it I would, too. I would agree. Like, <laughs> when, you know, because how many have we missed before this? Like mm. if we're treating it as a, yeah. we'll get there when it if it happens versus yeah. a, what are we actively doing to watch out and care for our students right yeah. now before it ever happens? Yes. Yeah. And that's part of the conversation and part of like why we wanted to get people in the room to talk about this because I, I think it's something that is 
I know at least in, in our ministry and in our church and some of the conversations we've had, it's a thing we're thinking through right now. So I, I don't have a clear, this is what we do yet because we're, we're having to think about it very differently in this season. Right. And a good, and I think like Jess said, it's healthy. It's good. It'll lead to some good ministry practices and habits. I just don't, I'm not sure if I know what those practices and habits are yet. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that reminds me of, you know, proactive versus reactive mm-hmm. healthcare, right? Like right. if you can catch something proactively, the treatments are much more effective than trying to catch it late. And that makes me think back about what you said, four out of five show clear signs. Yeah. Yeah. What would be some of those signs? Because that's if exactly we're if we're gonna be okay, proactive there we go. Yeah, that's great. We need yes. to know what those signs are. Yeah. And so like especially parents like really speaking to you on this piece as well of like the number one thing I always remind people is like don't be afraid of the word suicide. Like you're mm-hmm. never gonna put the idea in your kid's head. So don't be afraid to openly talk about it and to like to just straight up ask like i i do assessments with teenagers every day and i every single day i ask every single kid have you thought have you have you had any recent thoughts about hurting yourself or killing yourself and like i straight up say those words because it's important like if we don't need to be vague about it like do you think about not being here or like you know trying to dance right. around it like it's so don't worry about saying the words so you won't ever put that idea in your kid's head Hmm. and things to look out for of course obviously like you know if you know your kid's got a mental health condition number one just keep an eye out on that but definitely watch out for things like a sudden period of like a super depressed state and like you know they just seem like really off really down really bad and then and with that, the biggest risk factor to look out for is if they've been like that and then suddenly seem better. Mm-hmm. If there's a dramatic shift from they were down and sad and depressed and in this really dark place to a dramatic shift of now they seem okay and content, that's usually the point when someone has actively decided that they are going to end their life. Mm-hmm. And so there's a certain amount of peace that comes with that, and that is reflected in their behavior and their affect and like how they present themselves. So just watch for dramatic shifts and changes and things like that. Um, Watch for lack of interest in things that they used to care about, pulling away from people, doing things that, like, if they're suddenly making amends or seem, like, super appreciative of things or, like, you know, that's why I've always loved you. Like, you've meant this much to me. Like, Mm -hmm. if, if you're kind of wondering, like, this seems like how someone who knew their life was ending would kind of start talking to me, you know, like making their peace with the world, making their goodbyes and rounds, or like if they start giving away their stuff that's important to them, things like that. And then just, yeah, be mindful of like sudden events that happen, like sudden traumatic events or something really, you know, Honestly, even something like they suddenly get a really bad grade on something that they've like super worked hard for, you know, that can be a trigger for a lot of kids too. Or like they didn't get into the college that they had their hopes set on, like something that they've had their hopes or dreams set on isn't happening or they didn't get in, things like that. You know, all those are signs to look out for too. Mine goes to um, a place that actually, as we're recording this, we're look it's a it's a Thursday afternoon and this coming weekend we're gonna hear a great message about shame and freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think about just the incredible shame that parents feel. Yeah. Um, or yeah. you know, guardians, loved ones, whatever. 
um, and you started to get into this a little bit, the, the ripple effects. It doesn't just affect that person, doesn't just affect their family, but it, it goes beyond that. But specifically, parents have this unique role of you know, bringing this child into the world and feel so ashamed. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, and I would bet you've seen this in your experience too, where if it gets to that point or if it gets past that point, that there's a lot of blame, a lot mm-hmm. of shame that goes around um, or in the moment if they recognize like, oh, this could be one of those triggers that Jess just mentioned. And I wonder how many parents go through all of the scenarios in their head of like, how did we get here? What mm. what did I what did I do wrong yeah. to get to this point? Um, what could I have done differently? And like, yes, those are good questions to ask yourself probably, um, but maybe not right now. Yeah. <laughs> like right now, what your son or daughter needs um, is just your love and your presence. Is, is that being too reductionistic to say? Yeah, and... And they need your love, your your presence, and your assistance in getting them help. Okay, good. Because, like, if your kid is suicidal, that's not something you can handle yourself. Yeah. It's not. Like, no. don't, you know, like, you're probably Superman and Superwoman in so many other ways, but not this one, you know. And, like, and even as a mental health professional, like, if I had a kid who was feel, if my own <clears throat> child was feeling that way, it wouldn't, I'd still get them help because it's not my role at that yeah. point. You know, and so, and it's not your fault. Yeah. And it's not your kid's fault that they feel that way too. And another super big thing too is if your kid comes to you and says anything about suicide or even anything about just like, like mom, dad, like this, I don't feel okay. Believe them. Mm. Mm. You know, they, that's the biggest thing they need from you is they need, they need your belief. And I know sometimes it's really hard to accept that, you know, that your kid feels that way and it can really be hard but they need that and I think you know I the question I was asking you Roger earlier about like what impact does this make on youth ministry or work as ministry workers it's kind of a leading question and because because <laughs> I I had my own thoughts about it um because we had a couple experiences when at my previous church when I was in student ministries and John I'd be curious to hear your experience as well of like it caused us to question like everything that we did yeah. like yeah. as as youth workers so I, I mentioned about parents it causes them to question as mm-hmm. a youth worker I'm like is what we're doing does it does all of this matter like yeah. or or should we just like really hone in on some like very serious things because if we're just you know kind of going by the seat of our pants and and taking things lighthearted and still these things are happening in our community that leads me to believe that we have to overhaul the whole thing and be like wait what are we doing as youth ministries or as youth ministers what are we doing as pastors what are we talking about are we talking about identity are we talking about shame and making it okay right like that was a big campaign for a while i don't know maybe it still is make it okay okay not to be okay yeah And so to talk about it so that it's not this such stark contrast for when a student or any person for that matter feels this dark night of the soul of like, I don't want to be here anymore. Mm -hmm. And to know that their church never talked about anything like it to be like, well, I'm certainly not going to go to my church because like they're going to be freaked out by this. Mm hmm. And so I think it's just so incredibly important that we as a church 
acknowledge that this is a reality and begin to to make it a priority for us to talk about and maybe spend time doing some of the other things that maybe aren't as important you know and Mm -hmm. obviously those are up for interpretation but john i'm curious about your experience when you were in student ministries yeah i think you bring up a good point about a healthy urgency Mm -hmm. and we have to be careful not to slide into shame ourselves that we haven't done enough but to learn from it and have an urgency to say we have to talk about things that matter Mm -hmm. and there was a shift that we made it wasn't necessarily in response to suicide but it was in response to students feeling like they didn't have a place to talk about hard issues Mm -hmm. and so we totally changed our Wednesday night um, program to be we're going to talk about a hot button issue every time we meet. Like mm-hmm. we're going to talk about all the hard stuff. You know, can you lose your salvation? Hmm. What do we do when um, we're working through homosexual attraction, things mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. And you know, people were really nervous about it because they're like, "How are you going to handle this?" And <laughs> yeah. we, it, it was really fun the way we did it because we introduced the topic, and then we said, "What do you think about it?" Mm-hmm. And we just let them go talk about it with their youth leaders yeah. without ha- having any direction at first, which mm-hmm. again is a little bit <laughs> scary, but we wanted to create freedom for them to just say, this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And then we brought them back together and said, you know, here's what scripture says and here's what we believe as mm-hmm. Christians. Mm-hmm. But we were very careful to be sensitive yeah. and loving in that and just say like, here's the truth to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. And we have to be able to talk about these things in an unbiased way, but then bringing the truth of scripture at the same time and kind of wrestle with where do I stand on this? So I do think the church absolutely has to take more of a role in talking about these things and actually leading the culture in these conversations instead of, you know, letting them get to college and have the conversations there for the first time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which does not end well. Right. And I think like what you just brought up is honestly a really good way for parents to talk to your kids about things like this too. Like, you know, like just giving them like an open, like giving them some open-ended questions and just talking through it. Like, Hey, what do you think about this? Or like, Mm, what have you seen in your life or in your friends? And you know, the challenge is not to jump in too soon and correct them, which is really hard because you, you know, you want to, nip it in the bud, but you have to give them space to process and then obviously come in and guide them yeah. after that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think what it's interesting, I think part of what you're describing your experience on is a, a shift in understanding what youth ministry is for the purpose of youth ministry. Cause I think sometimes we can be tempted to think that it's like a place to create good Christians hmm. or a place to see lots of students gather. Yeah. Um, when that's not it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the reality is to create disciples who are creating disciples, which requires hard conversation yep. and a relationship that can handle hard conversation. So I, kind of a plug, but I think a lot of the decisions Jared and I have made and are making recently mm-hmm. are because we're asking those same questions. Like, what is the purpose of our ministry? Yeah. Is it to gather a body or to make good Christians or is it to create disciples who can handle life <laughs> and, uh, handle hard conversations because I think if anything COVID has shown us is that um, students go through some tough stuff that we can't wait five years to give them the tools to handle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right and when you you said this term a couple times but good Christians I think we tend to uh, define that as don't drink don't watch rated mm-hmm. R movies don't have sex before marriage <laughs> but honestly though that's yeah, yeah. that yes. when it comes down to it 
what we've created, and we've talked about this before, of moralistic therapeutic deism, like, yep. don't make mistakes, mm. then we know that you're a good Christian. Law. Right, the law. <laughs> yes, and the law. We're also in a series about that in Galatians. Like, Funny how things connect like Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, we, we have got to define and redefine and redefine over and over and over again what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus, yes. not what it means to be a good, moral, upstanding citizen. All, yeah. all of that's good to talk about, and we can talk about those things um you know because obviously we want people to make wise decisions yeah. in life and <laughs> what following jesus is and yeah. what it looks like and is I think, drastically different yeah and to that. also blur the line between not what it means to be an adult or a kid but what it means to be an adult christian and a kid yeah. i'm making air quotes right now sure sure uh, yeah <laughs> adult christian and then a kid christian because i think we've made a hard line there <clears throat> And I wonder if there needs to be a hard line there, mm-hmm. or if being a Christian follower of Christ when you are a student and when you're an adult actually shouldn't look that different. Yeah. Um, I want to kind of bring this to a close. I, there's so many more things that we could probably we, talk I about. I feel like we do this every time. I know. Like, we could talk for two more hours. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> but none of you will listen to that. Right so. now. <laughs> they'd be asleep. Yeah. Right no, yeah, that's right. no, right now somebody is standing in the middle of a grocery aisle uh, and they're blocking traffic. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because yes. they're listening to the podcast, right? right. We hope. Yeah. And <laughs> their mind is blown and uh, they're blocking the cheese. Um, no, I, I wanted to share this thought as a parent um because once again i'm the oldest one in the room and uh <laughs> that's not a bad thing no it's not you can it's be not. like i'm you the don't oldest have any hair so that fits why <laughs> oh come on that's why it's a podcast not a video um <laughs> but i i did want to offer and this isn't some big sciencey thing although you there's probably science to back this up um is a tool for parents is get in the habit of talking about you, actually, mm-hmm. at, mm-hmm. with really your good. kids. Um, There's and, absolutely science behind this. Yeah, I have I have a book to recommend. Okay, well, go ahead. I won't cut you off. Well, so <laughs> and I actually heard this from um, Kara Powell. She's the I think she's currently the president of the Fuller Youth Institute. Mm-hmm. Just great, yeah, yeah. great stuff. I can't recommend it enough. Um, but she she mentioned this in my early years of youth ministry. Uh, talking specifically to parents about we we get in the habit of going to our kids and asking them like how was your day how was your day and then and then if they respond with "Uh, fine uh, whatever you know and we get mad because our kids aren't responding to um, Mm. to our question but then we've got to ask ourselves have we modeled that for them so do we allow our kids to ask us mommy daddy how was your day (laughs) and and so I actually tried it when my kids are pretty young, just just told them, like, I, well, I didn't tell them to ask me about me. I didn't tell them, like, hey, now ask me about my day. I just told them. I just said, um, you know, to my son, I said, hey, can, can I tell you about my day today? And told them about, you know, a, a fun thing that I did or, or a thing that was hard. I had to make a hard decision and, and actually had a hard conversation. It was really sad. Um, but I think it's going to get better, you know, just like offering to talk about the things that I'm yeah. working through. Mm-hmm. So if we're modeling that yeah. for our kids, they're learning um, how to begin to to have language, yeah. right, to articulate what it is that they're feeling about their day. And one one little trick that we do, it's not a trick, sorry, um, 
let's just go around like what was your favorite part of the day and what was your least favorite part of the day we, yeah, do, yeah. we do this all the time I and mean, it's a really easy thing to do in small groups you know what were highs and lows and but buffaloes to, and heard, buffaloes i've also heard <laughs> that's new it's, a, it's happy, a old school euphemism oh, okay from happies and crappies have also heard yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's a <laughs> right yeah my my girls always know if that's allowed that if we that's gotta start with our highs or lows right. buffaloes buffaloes just something random right yeah that's a good that's good but i think it it's so good for our kids no matter how young you want to start um to just start seeing you as a human mm-hmm. processing through your yeah. emotions that you know yeah. when you get to be an adult you're going to have some hard days some good days some low days and it some helps day, make you, know? you a safe person yeah. to talk about it with too yeah. you know like it it humanizes you to your kids and it yeah. makes them it's like cool mom and dad can talk like oh look at that mom mm-hmm. and dad can talk about these hard things so i don't have to keep it inside mm-hmm. and yeah. i don't have to shove it down because because clearly mom and dad can handle it. Yeah. You know? I wonder if there's a space for that when we talk We talk to parents about and reading scripture with their children. I wonder if there's a space for that and how we think about and out loud about how we read scripture in front of them. Like hmm. When we talk about a passage that like we don't like or confuses us, maybe yeah. being honest with them about like, yeah, this is a hard passage for us. Right. John, were you going to say one more thought as well? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great conversation because sharing with them how we're feeling and pro- and letting them see how we process through it builds resilience in them mm-hmm. and teaches them how to deal with mm-hmm. hard things as we're watching them um, so that it's it's so important and back to the you know science behind sharing things with them I'm reading a book right now called Parenting from the Inside Out by mm-hmm. Daniel Siegel who is a child psychiatrist and he's a Christian too mm-hmm. And he also wrote a book called Brainstorm. It's specifically about teenagers. So, and actually one of our uh, parents recommended it on Facebook. So that would be another one. But he talks about how the way that we were shaped in our family history is the way that we will pass on to our kids. Because it's literally how your brain was developed um, through your family dynamics. And there's mirror neurons that literally will copy what you see happening from your parents. So we either copy our brokenness or we copy our health. We don't always talk about that. Hmm. So just to encourage you when you are working on yourself and growing, like Jared said, you're copying health into them as well. And I think that can Mm -hmm. be really, really encouraging. So those would be two books that would definitely be worth reading if you're looking for something let's keep going down that route in terms of resources and then we'll we'll close up our yeah if you're looking for some like professional help and professional resources um the we're here in wayne county so the wayne county mental health department that's the detroit wayne integrated health network um you've probably seen their billboards on the freeway but you can look them up online they got a big 1-800 number but you know but they're the resource for wayne county because it'll connect you to instead of me listing off like 100 individual providers you know that's just the one-stop shop to get things you need and you know and they can help across financial lines and things like that as well too so there are resources for everybody great uh resources in terms of classes of of community of faith yeah so in terms of student ministry um we have house churches for the summer which it's been really cool to to sit and i go to a different one every every time we gather but um, to see the kind of conversation that happens because we're doing them in leaders' homes in a home in a relaxed setting. Yeah. Um, not that we don't want to hang out at church, but sometimes I think hanging outside of church helps students, especially students who are processing really hard things, and be more willing to talk about it. So we have that for the summer. Uh, we also in the fall, um, and we have a podcast about this if you want to hear the exact details. But we're going to be integrating the life journey into 
uh, what we do with our students in terms of Wednesday nights. Um, so all the things you're hearing about discipleship and having conversations with them and having them ask hard questions, that's all going to be a part of just what we do with them on a week to week basis. So uh, we're really excited for that in the fall. Great as well. Um, I had one other thought that I wanted to share in that is much of what we've talked about um, has maybe been under the assumption that there is a solid relationship or mm-hmm. a, a relationship period between student and parents or parent. Um, and so what we don't want to do is assume that that's the case for everybody. Yes. So, so Jess, I want to ask you, is, yeah. is there a resource for maybe some kids who are listening to this right now who maybe don't feel safe in their home? Um, or safe in their relationship with their parent or parents, Yeah. Uh, what will be their next step? I mean, honestly, like, me, any of the adults here, like, we love you and care about you and would love to help you connect mm-hmm. with some help, too. So, like, you know, an adult that you trust, it does not have to be someone mm-hmm. you are related to, but just someone older than you, you know, someone just who's got the resources to help, mm-hmm. you know, but just... I know it's scary, but like, you know, reach out to somebody just and let us help you. Because I know that, I know that like sometimes your parents are not the people you can go to for that. So that is totally understandable. And there are options for you that you don't need to have. Anything from you, John? Yeah, yeah. Just one thought. I think one of the greatest challenges of parenthood is to stay connected to um, our kids' hearts. You know, like through all the challenges, do we know where their hearts are um, at? And if we lose sight of that, how do we get it back? Yeah. You know, um, and I would agree with Jess, just having other adults in your life or even yeah. other friends that you feel safe to go to and you could go to an adult together. Mm-hmm. I think that's helpful because it feels scary to uh, to go by yourself. Yeah. But if yeah. you have some friends that can go with you, um, that's absolutely crucial. And Remember that God cares for you, mm-hmm. and He's mm-hmm. with you always. And even when you're afraid to go to any human being, you can always go to Him. Yeah, yeah. and that's so important. And if you're, and if you're a young person listening to this too, and you're, and you've got a friend that you're worried about too, like if you want to take, take them aside and talk to them, and offer to go with them to talk to an adult too, that's super helpful too. Because sometimes it's yeah. really hard. Yeah to be the person who's suffering to be the one to reach out so mm-hmm. if you see anything going on with your friends too like you've got the power to reach out to mm-hmm. and it's and you can be with them to help them get help awesome and uh, I'll add my last bit of wisdom uh, to parents primarily uh, it is never too late so yes. regardless of how old your child is it's never too late um, to begin to experience restoration in your relationship um, for all of the things that we just talked about. If you're like, man, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed with information, with books, with resources, with just thoughts, um, that's totally fine. That's normal. And if you're like, I need to figure out a next step to take, the best way for you to do that is by going to our now page. It's lifechurchcanton.org now. And toward the top end of that page, there's a button there that says connect card. You can click on that, fill out a little bit of information uh, about yourself. And then if you're just like, I just listened to the podcast on youth and mental health and I have questions, <laughs> that's totally fine. You, you can say that um, and we'll just, we'll walk alongside you and connect with you to help you take some next steps or just to help you um, continue to explore this journey together. Uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and um, we hope to see you soon as well.